We're in a topical study in the book of Proverbs. Who in the world is Jerry? That's you. Steve Fleshman. Okay, Steve. So anyway, we're doing a a topical study of the book of Proverbs, and I've titled the study Landmarks Along the Path of Life. And um, what we are, what I'm trying to do is uh, point out four key landmarks that um, would would be important for any of us to uh, be be knowledgeable of. And um, we're looking at the very first landmark. We just started looking at the landmarks. I don't know how long I've been in here. So far it's all been introduction. So uh, we're just now getting into the first landmarks, and those four landmarks that I have recognized through my uh, study of Proverbs and going through it uh, multiple times is uh, authority, character, values, and relationship or legacy. The first one is authority, you know, what is my attitude toward authority? That's key in life, especially your attitude in regards to the Lord's authority in your life. And then everything else follows after that. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, Character is what what kind of person do I want to be? What type of person do I want to be? Do I want to be a a good person? Do I want to be an evil person? Do I want to be a righteous person or a wicked person? Also, values. You know, what are your values in life? What are what are what are important? What is important to you? Is there a love for righteousness or is there a love for wickedness? Uh, that type of thing. And then finally, relationships or legacy. Yeah, I, I spelled it right. Legacy, and that is what legacy do you want to leave behind? Whose lives have you impacted uh, for the Lord? Whose lives have you in- impacted for eternity? So those are the four major uh, landmarks that uh, I, I have seen. If you go through the book of Proverbs, you're going to see these four things consistently come up. He's addressing these four things consistently. And as I, as I said, we started with the very first one with authority. And uh, of course, you know, Proverbs chapter 4 says, you know, we need to guard the issues of our heart. And one of those major issues is what is your attitude toward authority? I mean, that, uh, that really says a lot. That also impacts a lot. Um, if uh, your hard attitude concerning authority is not very good, if you feel like you're, the, you're a lone ranger or you're, or you're a rebel at heart without a cause, I guarantee you um, life is not going to be very easy for you. But if you have a hard attitude where you love and esteem God, that you respect his word, that you respect his person, that you seek to uh, please God with your life, uh, then chances are you're going to be be blessed. Now I'm not saying that you're you're not going to have a hard life. Because, you know, well, we read like the Apostle Paul. I mean, that man was sold out for the Lord 100%, but did he have an easy life? No, not so much. So it's not so much that you're going to have an easy life, but you're going to have a blessed life. You're going to have a blessed life. And I also looked at, as far as authority is concerned, uh, you know, we have our, our three adversaries that we always are, are contending with, the devil and the world. But you know who our biggest adversary is that we have to wrestle with? Yeah, me, myself, and I, our flesh. 
Yeah, it's that carnal sin nature that always wants to reclaim uh, what it no longer has a right to. And that's, that's a daily thing with, uh, with many people. That's a daily thing. And we also know that that, that carnal nature of ours, that Adamic nature of ours, it'll never be reformed. You'll never reform your carnal nature. Romans 8, 7 says the, the carnal mind is enmity against God. That means it's, it's always opposed to the things of God. So if you're trying to reform your carnal nature, stop. Just give up on that. And learn to walk in the Spirit. Learn to be filled by the Spirit. Learn uh, not to grieve the Spirit or quench the Spirit in your life. That's the only way uh, you're going to succeed because that carnal mind, that, fle- that fleshly nature, it will, not be, uh, it will not be reformed. And praise God that Jesus Christ has died uh, for the penalty of our sins. And, and beyond that, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, guess who you have living within you? You've got the Holy Spirit living within you, right? And so he's there living in you. you. He's now united with your spirit. Uh, Your soul has been circumcised from, from that flesh. You're no longer under sin, but under grace. Grace. And boy, I tell you what, uh, I had a dear, dear friend of mine when I was brand new in the Lord tell me, he says, Jeff, if there's anything you ever learn well, learn about grace. Learn about God's grace in your life. Learn about God's grace uh, in in uh, in your life. And 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 I've tried to I've tried to I tried to do that very that very thing. So we concluded last week, and what we were talking about last week was uh, sometimes when God's children steps out of line, God being a good father, what does He do? Anybody remember that? If you're a good father and one of your children steps out of line, what are you going to do? Discipline. You're going to correct them, aren't you? Yeah, you're going to discipline them. You're going to correct them because, um, you know, you you see them going down a self-destructive way, a way that's not good, so you're going to try to correct them. You're going to try to discipline them. And, And the Lord does the very same thing. The Lord does the very same thing. And, and, and where is the go-to passage in the Bible that a lot of people go to when they talk about the chastening of the Lord? Hebrews chapter 12. Thank you. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12. So we think what? Don't we think that that's a, well, that's a New Testament doctrine, don't we? We think that, well, because of Jesus Christ, because we're in the age of grace, because, you know, therefore we're, you know, we're God's children. He's going to chastise us. So therefore that must be a New Testament teaching. No, it's not. It's actually a Bible teaching. It's actually found in the Old Testament. In fact, it's found right here in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. He says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. So that's, that's, a, that's a teaching that is in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. 
And that's why it always irks me when I hear people, and, and people who should know better, always teach, well, the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. No, he's not. He's not. It's the same God, just different dispensations. Just different ways of God dealing with man. But he's the same God. The same God. So anyway. So let's move on. We're still talking about authority. And what I want to look at is verse 13. Proverbs 3.13. Of course Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise uh, uh, despise instruction. But Proverbs 3.13 is what I want to look at. Look what Proverbs 3.13 says. It says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. Now who in here uh, wants to be unhappy? Raise your hand. I've met people. I have too. (laughs) They seem to enjoy their misery. Now I think most of us, if not all of us, we all want to say, I want to be happy. I want to live a happy life. I want to be happy, you know, in my life. I mean, who does it? And so does, guess what? God wants you to live a happy life as well. Uh, he wants you to live a happy life. I, I, I studied Ecclesiastes some time ago, and, you know, and I've heard people say, well, Ecclesiastes is such a depressing book and all this kind of stuff. Well, yeah, if you live life under the sun, it, it is depressing. But at the same time, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the, the, the message that keeps coming out is, you can live a blessed life. You can live a happy life. Right? You can. You can do that. Um, so, the Bible speaks a lot about being happy. The very first time, I think, and I could be wrong, but I think the very first time that the word happy shows up is in Genesis thirty thirteen, and it says, And Leah said, Happy am I, for the daughters will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher. Of course, Leah is one of the wives of Jacob. And um, she says, Happy am I, because she uh, gave birth to a son. And happiness comes to a young couple when they have children, right? Um, of course, later on when they turn into teenagers, that happiness seems to dissipate. But anyway, that's, that's beside the point. But when a child is born to a young couple, you know, they're, they're happy for that. They're happy uh, that that child is born. And sadly, in our society today, it seems like having children is more of a curse than a blessing. It seems like we're, you know, we're too quick to dispose of them. You know, uh, throw them in a trash can somewhere. And, that, and to me, that's sad. But, and I guess that's understandable if you live contrary to God's way and you follow that wisdom that's from below rather than that wisdom that's from above. So happiness has come about by having children. Deuteronomy 33, 29. Uh, the Lord says, Happy art thou, O Israel. Who is like unto thee, O people saved by the Lord, the shield of thy help? And and who is the sword of thy excellency? And thy enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon their high places. So here we see Israel is happy because God had saved them from Egypt. Israel is happy or blessed because God has chosen them 
as a people from among all the nations of the earth. Uh, Israel is happy and blessed because the Lord is their shield and their sword and their deliverer. Well, guess what? He's ours too. He's our shield. He's our sword. He's our deliverer. And we also are chosen people in Jesus Christ. So are we happy about that? I sometimes wonder. <laughs> I sometimes wonder. But that's a blessed thing to be. That's, that's a happy thing to be. To know that, that Jesus Christ is our shield. He is our deliverer. He is our sword. And we are a chosen people in Jesus Christ. Psalms 146.5 says, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Is not Jesus Christ our help? Is not Jesus Christ our hope? Sure he is. We sometimes forget that when the clouds get really dark and heavy. But he is. He, that never changes. That never changes. That never changes. Uh, Job 5.17 Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. There again, there's that principle. So when you are going uh, through discipline, uh, guess what? Be happy about that. Because God loves you enough to step in to your life and try to turn you back to him. Right? Now what kind of a father would he be if he let you just go ahead and crash into the walls? Not a very good one. And besides that, sometimes when those things, those disciplines happen in our life, it's not necessarily sometimes because of sin in our life. It could be God's trying to refine a certain virtue or something about our character or something about our value. So whenever the Lord corrects our discipline, it's always, always a good thing for us. So rejoice, be happy about that, that God cares enough to involve himself in our lives. James 5.11 says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and tender mercy. Job is, is a good case of that. Job didn't do anything wrong, but boy, he really went through the ringer. He really went through the ringer. And then at the end, those last two chapters, talk about coming forth like refined gold. So be happy. You know, sadly, many seek happiness outside of God's will found in his word. Uh, They'll chase after things that are like soap bubbles. You ever tried chasing a soap bubble? Bubble. Whenever you catch it, what happens? Yeah, yeah, it pops. That's an empty happiness. It often leads to disappointment. Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen says, "Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth heart shall fall into mischief." Happy is the man that feareth always. You know, that's an attitude of heart. That's an attitude of heart. The word happy is also an association with the word blessed. Blessed. 
So the man, happy is the man that feareth always. You can also say, blessed is the man that feareth always. Now it's interesting because I looked up this word happy in Proverbs, which is also associated with the word blessed or blessing. So I got out my little strong skin cordons and I looked it all up. This word happy, and its synonym blessed, shows up nine times in the book of Proverbs. Nine times. Now somebody says, well, so what? So what? It shows up nine times. Now if you're a Bible student, you know what the number nine represents? Fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. Fruitfulness. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit. And it lists nine things. Fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Um, This fruitfulness is only possible by abiding in who? Christ. Right? Jesus Christ. If you read John 15, 1, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. If you read John 15, 1, all the way down to verse 8, you're going to read abide or abideth nine times. Nine times. He says here in verse 5, As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. You want to be fruitful in your life? Abide in Christ. Uh, For the Old Testament, that would be, Happy is the man that feareth the Lord always. Abide in Christ. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll be fruitful. That's what fearing the Lord is. We've talked about that. We've talked about that. Uh, Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. I've already mentioned this verse. <clears throat> Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Again, when you know, sometimes we New Testament Christians, when we read the law. You know, we get that negative connotation, you know, uh, because of the Pharisees or whatever. You know, we think it's a, you know, not necessarily. You know, God provided the law to regulate life so that these folks would have a happy and blessed life. It's true for us in the New Testament as well. I, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, when I'm out of fellowship with God, I feel miserable. I do. I feel, I feel miserable. I, I feel unhappy. Because I know that I'm grieving the Spirit of God within me. And you know what I'm, what I'm really experiencing is the grief of the Spirit in me. Because I'm grieving the Spirit because of my silliness or my foolishness. My not walking with Him. You know, I decide to go my own way about something. Or I decide to get myself involved in something I shouldn't get involved with. Or, or whatever, with thoughts. I allow uh, certain thoughts to control. You know, I'm grieving the Spirit. And so I feel miserable because of that. So, happy is the man. Happy is the man. 
or the woman. I don't mean to be exclusive. It's you know you know how the Bible is. It talks about everybody. So when you're you know when you're honoring God you're fearing the Lord when you're choosing God's word as your authority in life and faith there's a promise of blessing with that there's a promise of of happiness with that but we know not only with our own selves but how many times have we seen people who forsake the Lord or who go contrary to God's word and we see how their life ends up not a good thing not a good thing see God's word is the true moral compass whether you're lost or saved it is the standard by which all men will be held accountable for will be judged you know I studied out this particular word translated happy in Proverbs a little bit further because um, you know if you look at Strong's it'll, it'll give you the number and then it'll give you the word and then what it'll do it'll track you back to the root word of that particular word you're looking at and I like to do that you know not because I'm an expert in Hebrew or anything like that or you have to do that it's just the way my mind works well I track this word happy back to its root word and I discovered that the root word of happy or blessed used here in Proverbs speaks about someone going in a straight way now isn't that interesting it's just a coincidence man wrote this book I'm sorry man's not that smart Man's not that smart. But that's exactly what the root word of blessed and happiness means. It means someone who's walking the straight and narrow or the path of the just. Or the one who's paying attention to those landmarks of life that's found throughout the word of God. You know, the happiest people I've ever met are those who genuinely and sincerely love God and others they really are they're the happiest people I ever met and some of these happy people I look at the circumstances and the situations of their life and I'm thinking how how are you so happy how are you so blessed because of what's going on that's because they can see beyond the rotten today because of that glorious tomorrow you know some of the and I know I've, I've talked about this before but some of the folks in India that I had the privilege to go visit in their their little huts in the, in the slums I mean they were, at, they're, they're, they were absolutely beaming they're absolutely glowing because of Christ in them in spite of their surroundings in spite of their being persecuted by their neighbors they were absolutely glowing with joy and happiness and I tell you what when I came back to America and uh, I didn't complain about having a bad hair day anymore (laughs) 
because of that. You see, a lot of American Christianity, they base their happiness on their circumstances or their situations. Not because they're a child of God, not because Christ has redeemed them and he is their shield and their, and their, and their sword and their deliverer and their hope. See, we get ourselves uh, fixated on, we, we buy into that wisdom from below and say, your happiness depends upon the big flashy car or the, or the perfect marriage or, or, or the nice house or the ideal job. And that's a soap bubble. That's a soap bubble. You know, Jesus Christ has delivered us from this wicked old world with its soap soap bubbles. And every one of us, if you know Jesus Christ, every one of us has a glorious tomorrow. Every one of us. A man by the name of Horatio Gates Spafford. That's quite a name. Wrote one of my favorite hymns. Ron, you might know this hymn. Uh, You don't hear it saying a lot. Spafford was a prominent American lawyer. He was a Presbyterian church back in the day when the Presbyterians meant something. Oh, I shouldn't have probably said that. Apologize. I'm sorry. I take it back. He's best known for writing the Christian hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Anybody hear that? heard that? All right, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that uh, much of the younger generation do not even aware of these hymns. Well, he wrote this hymn after a tragedy in his family. His wife and his four daughters were sailing across the Atlantic going to England and the ship that they were on sank and only the wife survived and so he got the news You know, how, that was back in the 1800's he finally got the news that the ship sank he got a telegram from his wife saying I'm, I'm the only one that survived so he boarded another ship sailed across the Atlantic and he asked the captain of the ship when we reached the approximate place where that ship went down uh, come and get me so the captain uh, and the navigator they figured out where it was and he sent uh, sent one of the sailors to go tell um, Spafford we're at that we're approaching that spot and so as the ship passed near where his daughters had died uh, he wrote that hymn When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, O the bliss of this glorious thought, My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pain shall be mine, for in death, as in life, thou wilt whisper thy thy peace to my soul. And Lord, haste the day 
When the face shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. What gave this man this hope? What gave this man this peace? Exactly. Jesus. Jesus and that glorious tomorrow because he would be reunited with his girls. He would be reunited with his girls. What gives people who live in mud huts and other lands the courage and the hope to face severe persecution being driven from their homes to have to live on a mountain somewhere in some obscure place what gives them that kind of hope? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. That's the wisdom of fearing the Lord. That's the wisdom of loving Him who had first loved us. That's the wisdom of looking unto Him who is our hope, who has promised us a glorious tomorrow. First Peter 4.13 and, and uh, verse 14 says, he says, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad, happy, blessed also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you, on, their, on, you. on their part is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. You get a bad time at work because of your faith? Rejoice. Does your family give you a hard time? Does your family disown you? Rejoice. What about your neighbors? Do they like to vandalize your home or talk about you? to the other neighbors so that you're labeled some sort of wacko rejoice rejoice see the word happy or blessed is a certainty to those who fear the Lord who trust in Jesus Christ in spite of your circumstances in spite of your situations in spite of what that Adamic nature is screaming at you to the contrary You know, James 3.17, when we talked about uh, the wisdom from above, it says, The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Peaceable. It brings peace. That's what Paul said in Philippians 4.7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We forget that sometimes. Proverbs 14.27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. A fountain of life. You remember the conversation that Jesus had with the woman by the well? 
what, what did he offer her? Yeah. And who is the living water? Jesus Christ. You know, and Jesus promised that those who would receive him as Savior, and this is a terrible paraphrase, but that living water would be gushing forth from us when the Spirit of God indwelt us. Do you realize that we've got the fountain of life dwelling within us? That living water just gushing? Are you letting it out? Are you letting it flow? You know, when uh, Jesus, in John chapter 6, had all those hard sayings about drinking his blood and eating his flesh, some of his disciples didn't get it, and they said, man, this is just way above my pay skill. This is too hard. Uh, We can't follow you anymore, Jesus. I'm sorry, we're out of here. But when Jesus turned to his 12 disciples that were sitting there or standing there waiting for him, he turns to them, he says, "Are, are you going to leave too? You remember what Peter said at that time? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. That fountain of life. Jesus Christ is that fountain of life. If you've got Christ in you, you've got that fountain of life. Take a deep drink. Proverbs 21.16 says, The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. There's two congregations in life. The congregation of the living and the congregation of the dead. And what is so sad and what is so tragic is those who belong in the congregation of life often choose to hang out with the congregation of the dead. We can either be a part of the congregation of life or we can join ourselves to the congregation of death. A congregation is assembly. Who do you assemble with? Or better yet, let me ask you a question. Whose company do you prefer? Whose company do you really prefer? Do you prefer the company of the lost? who operate under the Adamic nature, who go along with the wisdom that's from below? Is that who you prefer to company with? Or do you prefer to company with those who are walking in the light as, you, as, as he is in the light? Now, um, I don't know what the word is. Uh, a, a caveat or whatever, a sidebar or whatever. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't have lost friends? No. We should have lost friends. And the reason why we don't have lost friends is so we can tell them about this fountain of life that's bubbling up inside of us. Right? Because we want our lost friends to become part of the congregation of the living. So there's absolutely, and sad to say, there are so many of my brothers and sisters who who live in another kind of soap bubble. They try to create for themselves a little sanctified world where they have as little contact or no contact with the lost as possible. 
You know, the Apostle Paul talked about that. He says, no, don't do that, because if, we're, if you're going to do that, you might as well, you might as well get off the planet. He says, no, we need to get out among the lost. But the thing is this, we are to influence the lost for Christ and not the lost influence us away from Christ. Yeah, in the world, but not of it. Thank you, Diane. And sadly, in this church age we live in, the majority of the churches that are out there are starting to look more like the world than the bride of Christ because they like to adopt the world's marketing and the world's entertainment and the world's this and the world's that, trying to attract folks into the church. And you can grow a church. You can grow a big church that way. You sure can. Proverbs 4, 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all I get and get understanding. The principal thing. What does that mean? Huh? Exactly. The main thing. The chief thing. Uh, the number one priority about life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of... Yeah. So that means we pursue after God. Our life should be a pursuit of God. A pursuit of God. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that God's playing hide and seek on you. I mean, you just make Him your priority. Right? Um, It's like uh, Diane saw in me a handsome young man, and so she pursued me. (laughs) I'll hear about that later. (laughs) Is that what it is, Ron? Well, maybe I didn't want to run fast enough. Wisdom. So it's, it's the hard attitude. It's always the hard attitude. Who's... Who's king? Who's sitting on the throne? And as far as the fear of the Lord is concerned, we've talked about this. I've taught a lesson on the fear of the Lord before. But the main thing about the fear of the Lord is, 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 is love, honor, respect, uh, esteem, that type of thing. And yeah, there's the other side of it. You don't want to... You don't want to um, grieve him or displease him you know it's interesting I've said this before but you know that, that, that section that, that verse that says grieve not the Holy Spirit the word grieve is a relational term you don't grieve someone that doesn't love you you only grieve someone that loves you so when we grieve the Holy Spirit we're actually grieving someone who loves us and we don't want to do that we don't want to do that so this this wisdom this fearing the Lord that's that's the straight path that's that's what we're talking about here you know God's given us a wonderful gift in his word But what good is his word to us if we don't honor it or esteem it? Pay attention to what it has to say and obey it. 
But that's the place of blessing. That's the place of happiness. And again, like I said before, does that mean life will be easy? No. Now that I'm a Christian, now that I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, is life going to be a piece of cake with extra thick icing? No. Does that mean that that my marriage will be great and a success, that my children will always be always be obedient and never disappoint me? Does that mean that, you know, I'll go through life without any drama? No, it does not. I'll tell you something, when I first got saved, you see, I thought I had trouble before, but after I got saved, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Different kind of trouble, though. Now, it doesn't mean it's, it's going to be easy, but it does mean it will be blessed. It does mean it will be blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are dependent upon God. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, when we lose a loved one who knows the Lord, there's comfort there, isn't there? Or when we experience a loss, there's comfort. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's not what the world teaches. The world teaches says, go out there and grab all you can, because you deserve it. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. God says, open your mouth to me and I shall fill it. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I don't know about you, but I need a lot of mercy. And I need to show a lot of mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do you realize one of these days we're going to see Jesus face to face? Are you looking forward to that? In a way, I am. (laughs) No, I am. I really am. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Ah, Peacemakers. Boy, we need some more of those. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for your sake. No, for my sake. Yeah, I know somebody's going to be, well, Jeff, that's all kingdom teaching. That's all kingdom context. I agree, but it's also applicable for us. It's applicable. Remember when I read in Hebrews 11.15, And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned, but now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. A glorious tomorrow. We all have a glorious tomorrow before us. But that old world, what does it keep doing? Hey, come on back! Come back to me. Come join me. We're having fun. Things, life will be easier for you if you come back to me. Life will be easier if you, if you follow me. 
Isn't that what it's saying? Isn't that what it's beckoning all the time? Don't you believe it? It's lying to you. The real wisdom is to press on by God's grace, to remain in that place of true blessing which can only be found in the will of God. And where do you find the will of God? In the Word of God. In the Word of God. That's the only place of true blessing. Proverbs 15.31 says, The ear that heareth the reproof of life abideth among the wise. You see that in the first nine chapters of Proverbs. You're presented with those who listen to wisdom, and then you're presented with those who don't listen to wisdom. Those who listen to wisdom are blessed. Those who do not listen to wisdom, not so much so. Not so much so. When we heed God's wisdom in certain issues of life, it's sometimes hard It's sometimes not easy, and even sometimes it doesn't make any sense. But let me tell you, from experience, from from reading this book, when you do heed God's wisdom, in spite of everything else, when you heed it, in the end, there is blessing. I've seen it too many times. Too many times. But that takes humility. And sometimes we don't want to humble ourselves under his authority. Eli, um, the priest of the Lord, had a prophet come to him one day. And I'm sure Eli wasn't too thrilled to hear what the prophet said to him. But in 1 Samuel 2.30 it says, Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I have indeed I said that indeed thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. He says, Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering which I have commanded in my habitation and honorest thy sons above me to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel my people. You see, Eli did not honor God. He did not fear the Lord. In fact, he honored his sons above the Lord and what was their names? Hophni and Phinehas? Is that correct? Those guys were rascals. But because Eli was getting his belly full, he overlooked it. And unfortunately, that's the way a lot of Christians, as long as I'm getting my belly full, I'm okay. As long as I've got my needs met, my wants met, I'm okay. As long as God is coming through for me, then we're, you know, we're going to stay close. But boy, as soon as things go wrong, I'm out of here. That's not the place of blessing. Sometimes we just simply need to humble ourselves. What is it that, that Peter says? He says... Cast all your care upon him. 
for he careth for you. In the good times and in the bad times. The good times and the bad times. And you know how honor comes about? By humility. Humility. Humility comes first. Submitting yourself under God's care, his authority, comes first. And then he honors you. Then he honors you. Because Eli didn't esteem God's word and God's offerings and God's people, he lost his sons. The ark of God was taken captive and Eli himself perished. He was a priest in name only and not where it truly mattered within his heart. And I guess that's really the point, guys. Let's just, let's not be Christians in name only. Right? Let's not be uh, disciples of Jesus in name only. Let's make sure it's the attitude of heart. Come what may. Come what may. You know, when we fear and love and esteem the Lord and we acknowledge His Word as our authority in, His, in, in, our, in our hearts and we trust in Him for all the issues of faith and family in spite of what's going on, you know what? He's going to honor you for that. He promised to do so. He promised to do so. And that's not prosperity gospel preaching. Alright? Those guys... Don't get me started. They, they, they just twist and pervert the promises of God terribly. But that's not... Pro- Job 23.11 My foot hath held his steps, his way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Do you realize that when Job said that, he was sitting on a pile of ashes covered in boils. He had lost family and house and livestock. Everything was gone except for his life. But yet he says here, I have esteemed the words of his, of, of his mouth more than my necessary food. And we know the end of the story for Job, don't we? And did not God honor that man? That's long before the prosperity gospel preachers came in and perverted everything. He also said in Job 19.25, he says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Yeah, even Job, way, way back then, knew he had a glorious tomorrow. Just like you and me. And I don't think anybody in here has has suffered as much as Job. Unless I'm wrong. Am I wrong? No, I don't see any boiled covered people out here. You know, uh, I mentioned Ecclesiastes earlier. And i got to close with this. It's an interesting book. Uh, it'll, it'll cause your hair to smoke. It just will. 
But he asks a question in the very beginning of the book. He says, What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? And uh, I guess to put it in our language, what uh, Solomon is asking there is this. If life is worth living, then what is it about life that makes it worth it? If life is worth living, then what is it about life that makes it worth it? And a lot of people chase after different things, thinking that's what makes life worth living. And that's what he did. That's what he did in Ecclesiastes. That's what he explored. All these different avenues and all these different pursuits that people uh, chase after to find happiness. Happiness and fulfillment in life. And you know what his conclusion was? I know you guys know this. In the very last two verses of the book, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. What is, my, what, what is it that makes life worth living? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And I guess that's what, you know, the, the, the main thing as far as the authority of, uh, of uh, your attitude of authority in regards to the Lord is Jesus Christ. The reason in your life to live this life. Is he? Or is it something else? Is it something else? What is your heart attitude in regards to the Word of God written and the Word of God living? Get that settled. That's your very first landmark. Get that settled. Because everything else stems from that. And we're going to look at other authorities in our life besides the Lord. But if you don't get this one settled, then you're going to have issues. You're going to have issues all through the rest of your life. Amen? Okay, let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord. And honestly, I know I just scratched the surface. I mean, I, I may have said a lot, but I only scratched the surface of what of what this very important uh, matter as far as the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And I, I think it just it's just going to take a lifetime, if not an eternity. But Lord, help us to establish that in our life uh, first and foremost. And, and we're going to fail you. And, and 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 yeah, we're gonna we're gonna at times rebel, and and yeah, at times we're gonna we're gonna just do what's not pleasing you. But I believe, Father, that if that that issue of you being uh, the most preeminent person in our life, I think if that's established, Lord, 
then I also believe that uh, whatever it is that gets us off track, uh, when you call to us, uh, like children, we will gladly return to you. Gladly return to you. So, Father in heaven, help us, Lord, to to nurture this blessed happiness that comes from uh, the wisdom of knowing you in our hearts. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Now, I handed out envelopes last week. To some folks, did you ever get an envelope? Okay, you want? Some? Are you guys going to be at the dinner? You think? I think so. Yes. Well, let me give you two envelopes. If you have those envelopes and filled out, I, I need to get those from you. Am I still on recording? Probably. Well. Uh,